All right, well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We've been getting, going through, journeying through the book of Exodus, and today we get to a really exciting chapter that's going to take us a little while to get through, uh, chapter 19 and 20 of Exodus. We're probably going to be here for several weeks uh, in these two chapters. Uh, not only is the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, but this chapter is kind of setting the stage for that, and it's just filled with wonderful information, wonderful uh, allegories that, that lead us towards um, some New Testament thoughts and ideas that we're going to study over the next couple weeks. So it's going to be pretty exciting, so do not miss it. Now, let's start by praying, because you can't understand God's Word if you're not in a place to receive from Him. So Father, we pray uh, that we come to you in your throne of grace, Lord, not expecting or um, not trying to earn uh, our way to you, God, but we just want to hear uh, what your voice would say to us and what you have done for us and and how your ways work. Lord, I pray for your word that it would become uh, to us light, that we could see things more clearly, that we would have wisdom and knowledge. Lord, I thank you for how it challenges us and the way that we think, where uh, we we are convicted sometimes of sin, where we realize that we don't measure up to the standards that are presented here, but I also thank you that there's more than just standards presented to us in your word, but there is also love, there is grace, mercy, and forgiveness that uh, trumps all the standards, and I thank you so much for the, all of that being in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us first when we didn't deserve it or earn it, and we pray that you would open our hearts in humility to receive what you would teach us today. Amen. Amen. Today, our study is called A Tale of Two Covenants. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And that is how Charles Dickens begins A Tale of Two Cities, right? Who's read that? We are so cultured. All right. And that story is the story of a doctor who... who, uh, was imprisoned in Paris for 18 years, and then he was released to his life in London only to find out uh, that it was very different than he remembered. So one man's life played out in two very different cities of London and Paris. And we're going to set up a contrast today, like he contrasts the best of times and worst of times. We're going to set up a contrast today in the way that Israel's relationship with God happens in two very different ways. Up until this point, we have seen God has been relating to them based on a certain covenant he made with a guy named Abraham. And we're going to get back to that in a minute. And after this point, we're going to see that he's going to relate to them in an additional way, which is the law or the Sinai covenant. Okay, So we'll get to those couple um, contrasts here in a minute. But the way God relates to Israel and to all people now is uh, the way he sets up these relationships is called covenants. And if if you hear the word covenant, you might have some uh, grand idea of what that means, but it really is kind of like a contract uh, where where you sign an agreement and you make an agreement to to fulfill your side of the contract. And God likes people to understand how to properly connect to him and relate to him uh, in, in a covenant relationship. Um, he does not want our understanding of him to be guesses. And do you know how many people are guessing about God right now in this world? Maybe even in this room. We have guesses. If I were to ask you, are you going to heaven? Some of you would say, I guess, maybe. Or what do you think God thinks about fill in the blank? And, and, and there would be guesses. Well, I, I'm not sure, but I think he might think this way. Or he, you know, if I were God, I would do it that way. And God, God says there's no need for these guesses because he's given us a complete record of what he thinks about everything. And, and we can like it or not, we can take it or leave it, but we shouldn't not understand it. We should at least be able to know how he desires us to relate to him. For an example, you go walking down the street and you ask someone, hey, uh, can you tell me how to get to heaven? Just a random person on the street, anyone you want, the 90% probable answer that you're going to get is, well, you'd be a good person 
Or your good deeds just need to outweigh your bad deeds. And God looks at things on a scale. And if you're better than Hitler, you go to heaven. So we have, we've randomly come up with this guy, Hitler, who is the judge of, who is the standard of who should go to hell. Right? Everyone, should Hitler go to hell? Everyone's like, yeah, Hitler should go to hell. Should you go to hell? No, I shouldn't go to hell. Why? Well, he did worse things than I did. We think that's the way God looks at things. But from God's perspective, well, we, we'll get into that later, but from God's perspective, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yes, Hitler's deeds were evil, and he'll be punished accordingly, but it's not the scale, and, and those, that's a guess about how God does things. It's a semi-educated guess because people have gone to church and they've heard people at church, pastors at church and churches throughout history that said, just be a good person. And that's the message that came across. Now, does anyone know that that is not the gospel? The gospel does not say be a good person, does it? The gospel says you're not a good person. And Jesus loves you and died for you because you're not a good person. But in uniting with him in faith, he can make you him. His goodness is given to you. We are united to him in faith, and he makes us good on the inside. Our heart begins to change through relationship with him. Okay, so Exodus chapter 19, where we're going to look at today, we see an establishment of what's called the old covenant, okay? The old covenant. And this, we'll call it the first city, the tale of two cities, right? It's the first way that God uh, sets up for this nation to connect and relate to him. Only, the problem is, this isn't the first city. This isn't the first covenant. This isn't the oldest covenant. It's called the old covenant, but it's not the oldest covenant. There was a previous covenant to this called the Abrahamic covenant. And it came 430 years before this. And we need to know and understand what that covenant was before we even get into what the old covenant means and is, and that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. So we're going to call this older covenant the covenant of grace, a covenant of grace. We could call it a covenant of grace in Christ, or we could call it the better covenant. How about that? We'll just call it the better covenant. We'll do, and we'll just call the old covenant the covenant of law the covenant of law, which we're going to see God gives them here in Exodus 19. But in Galatians 3.17, I want to read to you a verse, okay? It says, and I say this, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So in that verse, it says, God, God says, I made a promise to Abraham at this point in time. 430 years later, I give the law and I make another covenant with Israel, but this covenant does not annul this covenant. This covenant, which was what we're going to study for a moment here, is going to endure all the way through the old covenant into you, what you and I abide in today, which is the new covenant. So this one over here, this Abrahamic covenant, is kind of like a precursor to what we live in today in the new covenant. And these covenants, they don't disagree with each other. The new, co the this covenant of grace and the old covenant, they don't disagree with each other. They're different. They're just very different. Today, we get to unfold the glories of them so that you all can enjoy what God has done for you in Jesus and the freedom that is yours today on the last day of 2017 in Denver. You have been given wonderful and great and precious promises, and I hope that we today will unfold a little bit of those so that you guys can take them and take them into your year this year and apply them into your life, okay? So uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna, before we even get to Exodus 19, I'm sorry, a couple verses in Genesis. We're going to look at the covenant that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 5. If you want to follow along, it's 15 verses 5 through 14. And he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, Abraham believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, accounted it to him for righteousness. So God says his, this covenant, he says, this is my promise. Covenants are built on promises. I just bought a car and they said, 
I owe and you owe, and, and, and I owed them money, and they owed me nothing but a car, I guess is what, how it goes. But they, uh, in this situation, God says, I owe, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make your descendants as the stars of the heavens, just innumerable. And there's no mention of what Abraham would do. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it counted to him for righteousness. So in other words, all that Abraham did was believe what God said, and in doing that, Abraham is now in this covenant. Not only did God, was God going to fulfill the promise to make his descendants like stars of the sea, but God makes him righteous as well. God forgives all his sin. It says here, God accounted it to him for righteousness. And all Abraham did was what? Believe, Right? Then he said, I am the Lord which brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave you this land to inherit it. And he said, Abraham said, Lord, how shall I know that I'm going to inherit it? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, that's a little cow, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not their own, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also a nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. So this is the Abrahamic covenant. I know it's a big word. Just covenant with Abraham, you could say. And I just want to point out three things very quickly about this covenant that we have to understand because we're contrasting the way God works here with this new old covenant that he's going to give them in Exodus 19. And the first is this. Number one, God was the only one who did anything in this old, older, better covenant. Abraham was asleep. He was asleep when God walked through the uh, sacrificed animals. That's the most not involved you can be in something. <laughs> Wives love it when their husbands come home from work and go to sleep and don't help with the kids. That's a hint for you guys. There were no conditions for Abraham to meet in order to partake in this covenant. Nothing for him to do. Nothing at all. All he did was believed the promise at the beginning. Number two. So the first thing was to learn was that God is the only one who did anything. Number two is that it was based on sacrifice. There were animals and they were slaughtered and that blood was what was the basis of this agreement. That's how Abraham could know that God was going to fulfill his side is because God said there's blood. It's almost like you can write your name in blood. You, I'm signing my name here. Okay? The third thing is that it's a covenant of pure grace. God says, I will give. And give is the language of grace. Grace is a gift. This is a covenant of pure grace. This is how God has related to the children of Israel for the past 430 years. They did nothing to earn God's favor. They've done nothing at all. It has been all God's grace. Okay? I'm going to point this out with a few verses I'm going to reference real quick. Exodus 2.24, God heard their groaning when they were in Egypt and they were being whipped and they were being enslaved. He says, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so God's been relating to him based on this covenant. In chapter 6 of Exodus, verse 3 and 4, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, by my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. He's telling the, people, the children of Israel now, I'm doing this because I made a covenant with Abraham. Not because you guys are awesome. Not because you've done anything, but because I am a God of love and I will fulfill my covenant. The third one is in Psalm 105, verse 41. It says, and he opened the rock and water gushed out and ran and it ran in dry places like a river. We remember that from last chapter, right? 
And uh, for he remembered his holy promise to Abraham, his servant. Okay, so three verses. There's many, many more times where he says, I'm doing this because of my covenant with Abraham. But there's nothing about the covenant with Abraham that Israel could do or keep. God just said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to save you. I'm going to redeem you. That is it. There was no commands, no conditions, no nothing. God did it all. It was unconditional for Abraham and his descendants. As far as works goes, he entered it by faith. That's all Abraham brought to the table was, I believe you. Now I'm going to go take a nap. What a great way to live your Christian life. I believe you, God. Now I'm going to rest in all that you've said. And God was faithful. Now, it doesn't mean Abraham didn't suffer and Abraham's descendants didn't suffer. We still go through many difficult things in our life, but it doesn't uh, neglect or it doesn't change how grace works. You just have to believe me and my words, and then you can rest, and I'm going to take care of it. So, with all that being said, we're going to look at Exodus 19. So we're now going to contrast this covenant of grace like the Abraham's covenant, which links to what we believe, what we live in, in the New Testament. And we're going to link, link that and contrast that to Exodus chapter 19, the covenant of law or the old covenant. God promises, God proposes right now a covenant of works where the nation Israel must keep it and do these works in order to receive certain blessings, okay? So what were the requirements of the covenant of works or this covenant of law? And the answer to that is very simple. It's the Ten Commandments. Okay, in Exodus 34, uh, it says, The Lord said to Moses, uh, Write these words according to the tenor of these words. I have made a covenant with you in Israel. So it was there. I was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and I neither ate bread or drank water. And he wrote on the tablet the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So next time we get into chapter 20, uh, we're going to study those Ten Commandments, uh, which in this covenant, keeping those Ten Commandments are required. They're required. These are not ten suggestions. They're ten commandments. Now, we need to pause real quick and ask an important question. Which covenant are we invited into? Have we been invited into this old covenant? And the answer is, we've been invited into the covenant of grace, or the new covenant, not this old covenant. Now, does that mean the Ten Commandments don't exist anymore? No, the Ten Commandments are very real. In fact, when you're out there talking in the world, you can ask someone, have you ever committed murder? Have you ever lied? And their response will be, yes. Well, maybe not murder, but (laughs) yes, I've lied. So we can use this as a springboard to introduce people to what a relationship with God looks like. And what we're doing there is we're trying to get people away from a, a law-based relationship with God because we've all sinned. We are all lawbreakers, every single one of us. I asked the question, have you lied? The answer is yes. Have you ever stolen? Yes, that makes you a lawbreaker. But I haven't murdered. I'm not Hitler. I don't care. Tell that to the judge. You, 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 you lie on your taxes, you go to jail before the judge, you go to court, and the judge says, you lied on your taxes. You said, yes, I did, but I didn't murder six million Jews. Let me off the hook. And the judge will say, you're an idiot. You are a lawbreaker, and you will be punished as a lawbreaker. So the covenant of law is not flexible at all. It just says perfection standard. It just gives perfection standard. It doesn't give fleeway or leeway or flexibility fleeway. Oh, I just invented a new word. It doesn't give fleeway either. <laughs> this covenant, this old covenant of law is so hard. It's hard. And I lost my place in my notes. I don't know where I am. Fleeway. Oh, right here. Fleeway. <laughs> ah, I figured it out. Okay. So God proposes this new covenant of works, and it's, 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 it's under the umbrella of the Ten Commandments. And so we ask ourselves, what covenant are we invited into? And that's not this old covenant. This was for the nation of Israel. But we're invited into a new covenant. 
Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, uh, after he, he took the cup after supper and he, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood that was shed for you. So remember back to Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant, there was blood, there was an agreement where God said, I'm going to do everything. The new covenant feeds upon that and it says, this is what I do, Jesus says. I'm making a new covenant with you and you aren't going to do anything to be part of it except believe. Believe is all of our, we're going to do. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 says, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So I, I explained that, that situation about us going out and, and talking to someone about the old covenant. Why would we do that? Why would we use the old covenant? Because the old covenant, the law, is really great at helping people realize why the new covenant is awesome. The old covenant of law says a couple things to you. It says you're guilty, you suck, and you need a savior. That's what the Ten Commandments speak to us. The Bible says that. I would not have known sin except the law said do not sin. I wouldn't have known about it. So all the law is telling you is you're awful, you have sinned, Maybe not as much as Hitler, but he sinned a lot too. But you still need a savior. The whole purpose of the law is to get us to answer that question, what are you going to do about your sin? The law just takes a flashlight and shines it on the cockroaches that are scurrying around in our heart. Our sin. The law shows us our sin, reveals it. But we've even been invited to a different covenant that eliminates that sin. It's so cool. Um, so we have been invited to be ministers, Second Corinthians says, of this new covenant. In other words, we're going out helping people to understand how much God loves them, what he's done for them, so that the law doesn't condemn them anymore, but they can now be forgiven and, and keep the law through Jesus. All right, so there's three aspects of the new covenant that we see. Uh, and they're the same ones that we saw for the Abrahamic covenant. Same thing. Number one, God was the only one who did anything. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, right? We did nothing but sin. Number two, it's based on sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus, right? Number three, it's a covenant of pure grace. Jesus says, I will give you everything that you need. He gives his blood. He gives his life. He gives his spirit. And now the law that was explained in the Old Covenant doesn't need to be explained to you anymore or to you or to you or to me because he takes his Holy Spirit, he takes some weird magic pen, and he writes the law on our hearts. So instead of the law being an external list on Ten Commandments that we need to try and try and try and fail to do, in Christ, he writes it on our hearts and we just want to do it. We do as God puts on our heart, and that leads us in obedience as we abide in Christ. There is nothing about the new covenant for us to keep or to do except believe. There's no commands, there's no conditions, there's no nothing. God does it all. It's unconditional for the church as far as works go, but we enter it by faith. So all of that was a giant introduction. <laughs> We're going to be here forever. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I only taught for 13 minutes last week, so you have to go with me here. All right, Exodus chapter 19. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim uh, and came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain, and God went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In other words, God says, I have proved myself to be a God of grace and a God of love. I love you guys. I have chosen you. You did nothing to earn it. I do it all for you. 
He is driving home that point. He's saying, I bore you up on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people. How could they keep the first covenant? They can't. It was a one-sided covenant. There's nothing they can do. So the covenant he's talking about here is a new covenant or what we know as the old covenant. You shall, if you keep it, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So this is the invitation and introduction to the covenant of works. And the way we can tell this covenant is because there's if-then statements. You know, if Ryan was here, I'd make a computer programming joke. Lots of if-then statements in computer programming. Well, that's how the old covenant works. And it's the way our minds naturally work. If you keep my commands, then you'll get blessings. That's how most of the people in the world think that God works. But that's not the totality of how God works. If I try hard, then God will accept my trying hard. If I do my best... God will accept that. If God accepted our best, why did Jesus need to come? Our best didn't measure up. Our best was not good enough for a perfect, holy, righteous God. So Jesus had to come, God in human flesh, and lived the best life, gave the best his own life. And in that, we can have identity in that. And we can be perfect in God's sight. But... Outside of that, God doesn't care how hard you try. He's freed you from that. He has freed you from trying hard to please him. He says, it's okay. I don't expect you to be perfect or wonderful or holy because I already am. Jesus already is. And you can be placed in Christ by faith. And that's how the new covenant works. So beautiful. God is saying, I would like to partner with you, Israel. I would like to do a greater work in this world. I would like to minister to this world. I would like to save many people of many tongues, tribes, and nations. All of them, I would like to to have a place in this world where they can hear about my love and receive my grace. And Israel, I want to use you. What a great deal for Israel, right? This doesn't change that God is a God of grace. This didn't annul the previous covenant that God had chosen these people and and showed love to them and saved them. It doesn't change his first covenant with Abraham, but he is adding an opportunity for them to partner with him in the spreading of his love and grace around the world. He says, you as a nation are invited to become more than you ever thought you could be. You can become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kings are royalty, that's what it speaks of. Access to the spiritual resources of heaven. All right? Priests have a spiritual job to do. Saving the whole world is the plan, and you can be a part of it if you choose to keep this covenant, God said. Well, what do they respond? Let's see. So Moses came and called the elders of the people, and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together, All that the Lord says as spoken we will do. So Moses brought back words of the people to the Lord. They say, Yes, we are in. We would love to be used to save the lost people of this world, just like you saved us when we were lost. Salvation is always by grace. He's always, it's always been by grace, but, and we want to spread this grace that you have given us and showed to us to everyone that we can. Spread the what? The grace. The what? The grace. You guys know what happens. They end up spreading the law, which is very different, a very different covenant. It was the covenant God had on them. And by the time we get to when Jesus comes a couple thousand years later, their, their, their way of thinking is so corrupted 
that that circumcision and law keeping is the whole basis of their relationship with God. Just it's all about what you do and what you look like, and they have forgotten all about God's love and God's grace. It's amazing. So, do they keep this uh, covenant? Spoiler alert, if you've read like half of the Bible, the answer is no, they do not keep this covenant. In fact, they're going to last a whole week until they're breaking like every rule in the covenant. It's crazy. Some, some of them do keep the covenant. It's pretty cool. And they, these individuals like, like David and Elijah and Elisha and, and these different prophets and priests throughout time, they are used incredibly by God in this world. I mean, David and his son Solomon had, had such a huge ministry to the whole world that people were traveling, kings and queens were traveling from all parts of the world to Israel to find out what was so great about their God. And they would ask them questions about life and God's love and God's grace. And David and Solomon were able to share that. But soon, those kings stopped keeping the covenant, stopped keeping the law. And so God couldn't use them in that way. And the nation as a whole falls apart. And, when, and just uh, 30 years, 40 years after Jesus, the, the nation's gone, Right? It's just wiped off the face of the earth. It's, it's, they're scattered among the nations, and we'll, we'll study that another time. All right. So they don't keep this covenant. Now it says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, and the people may hear uh, that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the Lord uh, to the people, and the Lord said to Moses, or the people to the Lord, excuse me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up in the mountain or touch its base. And whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near to the mountain. <clears throat> so God here, he gives them some instructions about cleansing and washing and uh, the thing he's trying to teach the people here at this point, and this is me as a pastor explaining to you guys what, the, what this means, is he's teaching them that sin will keep them from God's presence and, and also this desire to be used by God and to partner with God. Very simple lesson. He's saying, I am God, and yes, I want to partner with you, but you need to not forget who's the boss and who's the servant. I am God. You do not just run up on the mountain to touch me. I will kill you. And you know what happened? They set up these, these markers and people were kept safe. Okay? These, these pillars around the mountain. And guess what? When the, when the people go to Mount Sinai out in Saudi Arabia, Jebel Allah, as it's called today, you can Google it. You can go on Google Earth, look up Jebel Allah's, and look, and around the mountain, you will find stacks of stones. They have them all around at the base of the mountain. And you, they're still there for you to see today, along with much more evidence, including the altar that they're going to build, the, the rock that was split, that water came out of. All of this is right there in Jebel Allah's. It's amazing to see. But they have found these actual, they made just giant stacks of stones. You could tell they were stacked by people right around there today. God is saying, be careful. I, 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 this isn't just, you're not just making a deal with some little G God. I am God. I am almighty, and, and you cannot think that this is just some normal agreement you're making with a car dealership's contract. There is no bankruptcy to get out of this. You need to be very careful and understand that I am God, and I deserve respect. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not come near to your wives. I don't know why that Makes you unholy, but it does. Just kidding. <laughs> okay, Moses is leading the people by serving them. What does Moses do here? It says Moses 
sanctified the people. He's teaching the people. He's helping them to understand that they are now sanctified, or, or that word means set apart. They're special people for a very special purpose, to serve God, to be his representatives on this world. He says even their clothes and their personal lives, that's their relationship with their wives, even their clothes and their personal lives were to be kept clean and pure. And isn't it ridiculous that so many church pastors have horrible marriages or church members are hypocrites when it comes to their personal lives? These things should not be so. We should be known, our reputation should be for honorable relationships, honorable living. And yet, those pastors who are faking it, who are all about the outward appearance, all about what things look like, they're neglecting those personal relationships. How many times do you hear about stories about a kid saying, yeah, my parents were Christians, and that's exactly why I'm not one. It's because they treated me like crud when I was at home. They didn't love me. They were just all about the rules in my life. They were just so mean to me. And that's exactly why I don't want to be what they are. People don't necessarily have a problem with Christianity. They have a problem with people who say they're Christians and act like idiots. Act like people who don't have integrity in their personal relationships. That's what kills the witness of the church and keeps them from being used. God's saying the same thing with Israel. Hey, keep these relationships pure. Everything is now less important than your relationship with God. Your clothes don't matter. Your other relationships don't matter as much as holy living with God, a a real relationship with God. His will and his plan are the reason for their lives now. In other words, they they used to have their own reason for living when they were slaves in Egypt, and their reason for living was what? To just survive, to just get through the next day, to try not to get whipped that much. And God says, hey, I've delivered you now, and now you have so much more that you're living for. My will and my purpose of this world. What am I going to do in this world? And I want to use you. You can be a part of it. We're always wanting you know, to take our kids someplace special, me, my wife and I. And, uh, but before we go, sometimes we ask them to put real pants on. It's just a conversation that happens in my house. I don't know if that happens in your house, but... Usually they're hanging out in their PJs or whatever. And they always say to me, but why? Guys, because I, I, I have something special. I want to take you to Casa Bonita. And they require pants. <laughs> I am not trying to ruin your life by telling you to put pants on. All right. Well, he asked them to put some pants on too. And- Yeah. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings. We're going to study these verses in depth next week. And a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Okay, so things are getting straight apocalyptic here. We got thunder, we got lightning, we got fire, we got supernatural trumpets, we got smoke, God's voice, we got earthquakes. Why all the drama? The answer is because this is not a game. This is not a game. I am not a God to be trifled with. I am not weak. I am not small. The mountains are too weak and small for me. I come down and I burn them. The clouds cannot contain me. My glory would destroy destroy your whole world if I let it. Yes, I am inviting you into a partnership with me, but remember who you're dealing with. I am the almighty, all-powerful, all-glorious God. In that that section that we just read, we're going to study it next week and we're going to link it to Pentecost and how it's basically the exact same thing. And it's going to blow your mind. Your ever-loving mind is going to be on the floor. So come next week and learn about that.
But God says, I am not here for your amusement. This is the problem I have with so many modern attitudes I observe in the church regarding worship and worship music. God has become something to be entertained by. Even the pastors and the way they preach sometimes. It seems like it's entertainment. And I see a great danger in this. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? They tried to fake it with God, right? And how did they end up? That's right. The Lord took them out because he says, Don't, you can't fake it with me. And that's why I'm okay with people coming in with their doubts and with their, their struggles with faith because, man, that is fine. We've all been there, and, and it is fine. But when someone comes in and says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Bible follower, I'm a Jesus follower, I know what you all are about, and they come in and they play the part, and then they're fake, they're hypocritical, that's the part that we don't accept. It's not okay. And we'll call you on the carpet and we'll say, you're being fake, bro. I thought you said you follow Jesus, yet there's no evidence of that. I mean, you show up at church and try to look good, but death is the only result that's going to happen, right? There's going to be no real ministry there. So remember Ananias and Sapphira. So the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through and gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves. Let that lest the Lord break out against them. So he doesn't, it, he doesn't make any difference uh, who fakes it. People normally fake it, I'll kill them. Priests, if you fake it, I'll kill you too. We're not faking this. I don't care who you are. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up on Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and, co- and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, go down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests or the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Question. I thought God was loving. Why would he break out and kill? What's up with that? Well, God is love. Absolutely. But God is also holy. And sinfulness is the opposite of holiness. And sinfulness cannot exist in his presence without consequences, severe consequences. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. God coming down to establish his covenant with a nation for the first time in history, inviting an entire people group to partner with him in ministry on this earth, best of times. Yet, They must learn that this God is not safe and not wimpy. He is mighty and more terrifying than anything seen in the world thus far. He is loving, but he is also just. In fact, their failure to keep this covenant is going to lead to more suffering and pain than they could ever imagine right now. And these are tough lessons. These are tough things to learn. So that's our study right there. Okay, that's, that's going through chapter 19. We're going to dive into some more stuff next week that really can, is, is amazing in it and its relationships to some New Testament things. But I want to just end our, our time here with an, a brief encouragement, okay? God's invitation stands for you this year, okay? It's, it's New Year's Day, New Year's Eve day. And, and we're all kind of have the thought, what New Year's resolutions do I have? What am, what am I going to do this year? And I just want to encourage you, don't ask that question. Instead, let's say this. Let's, let's, let's think about this. What would God have for me this year? What does God want to give me this year? All you need to do to receive it is believe that he has that plan for you, that his ways are not your ways, his ways are better than your ways, and then it's a big thing called surrender in faith. I'm going to surrender my will for this year to God. And, and I'm going to seek him. And I'm going to, I don't even know how he's going to speak it to me. But I'm going to open up the word daily and I'm going to seek what would God speak to me today. This works in Christ. When you believe that he was God and that he came to this earth and, and he became a man 
took our sin upon him, in him, on his body, on the cross. He paid the price for that. The moment you believe that, put your hope in it with all your heart, you are born again. And now God says, now I invite you to see what life can be like serving me. Because it's so much better than serving the taskmasters of Egypt, which is what we are under before we know him. And those taskmasters are taskmasters are sin. If you're not serving God and fully surrendered to Christ right now, we are serving sin. It is our master. You are serving someone. Right now, you are a slave to someone. And it is either Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, who is this God, or it is sin. And sin is prompted to us. The devil says, you don't need anyone telling you what to do. You have a PhD. You don't need anyone telling you. You know how life works. You went to the school of hard knocks. You don't need anybody. You don't need anything. You do what you want, is what the devil says. It's what he said to Eve. It's what he says to Jesus. And what it's what he said to, it's what he says to us every single day. Do what you want. Whatever you want. And God says, I would give you life. I would give you love. I would use you. I would bless you with all that you need. And I invite you to that. Would you come? Would you surrender direction of your life, the leading of your life, and instead follow me? I'll give you, I'll give you more life. I did not come to destroy life, but I came that people could have it more abundantly. When life is rules, a bunch of legalistic rules, it's a bummer. Okay, but the life Jesus came to give us is not that. It is pouring out hope and peace into our hearts. You know how many people are out there wishing they just had peace? And God's like, it's a gift. I just give to anyone who asks. I just give it peace. And along with many, many, many other gifts. And all it is is the surrender of faith that, that uh, he's calling us to. Okay, so let's all stand up if you would. Thank you guys for your time and, and your um, patience. Make sure you tell Tabor how much you love him today. <laughs> so now we have, we have a, a, the communion, um, the, the juice and the, the crackers. You know, and this is what Jesus tells us to do to remember. This is not a work that you're earning your salvation. But this is a way that we um, connect with faith. We say, I believe that Jesus' body was broken for me, and so I'm going to eat the cracker and, and take that into my body in belief and faith. And if you believe, please do that. And then the, the juice, the same thing. I believe his blood was poured out for me in sacrifice, like the covenants we talked about today. All of them were signed by blood. This reminds us of the signature, and it's so important for us to say in our hearts, I believe it. I don't have to earn my way to heaven. It's given to me. I believe it. So if you truly believe those things and you don't want to be fake, come up and take these during this song. No one's watching who's getting up and who's not getting up. If you haven't yet come to believe, please just refrain on your own and say, I'm not there yet. I don't believe that it was for me. But if you do believe, you have every right, even if you just murdered someone this morning on the road. Jesus still loves you and invites you while you're living into this covenant of grace and love that he offers. All right, so would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you uh, just for every person in this room, how you have uh, given us life. You have brought uh, people into our lives that love us. And all of these are just small, tiny reflections and foreshadows of the great love that you have for each one of us. And Father, I pray that that love would melt our heart, that the compassion you have for us and the work that you have done for us dying on the cross would, would transform our life. 
And we thank you as all of us who believe in you, we receive your Holy Spirit by faith and you now dwell in our hearts. You have granted us peace. You have granted us the ability to be equipped to to keep the law. The law keeping is no longer even a problem for us because it's our heart's desire. It's written upon our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we praise you. We thank you for making us a new person. But the old man, he hangs in our our memories and our emotions. And Lord, we say no to that person. That person died on the cross. We reject its influence in our life. And Lord, we want to submit and surrender continually, daily to the gospel of the good news that Jesus, you are our life. You are everything for us. And Lord, we ask for your blessing to be upon us. We ask uh, Jesus this year, Lord, that we would identify as Christ followers in this world, that we wouldn't just go through this world trying not to make a waves, but Lord, that we would say, I am a Christian and I believe in what Jesus has done for me. And I pray that you would just gently, organically use each one of us in our gifts out in this world to bring your life and love to those people in this world. And if it's your will, Lord, we would love to serve them here at this church. We would love to to help them to grow. But just for us here, I pray that we would never hide our faith, but it would be the only thing that we shine out as light from our hearts. Yes, friend at work, I struggle with the same things. But my faith in Christ is all I hang on to. Yes, my spouse, this is hard, but I will serve you and love you because of Jesus Christ. And if anyone in here, this is the, the, just a turning point in your life where you believe uh, God's word, maybe for the first time, maybe it's a bunch of small decisions that are leading up to this one where you're saying, I do want to surrender control of my life to Jesus Christ. I do want to know his love and know his grace and forgiveness and, and I would like to have his blessing in my life. You have every right to call upon God right now. It doesn't need to be a big thing. It can be another one of those small decisions where you just say, okay, I'm going to call out to the Lord. I'm going to believe his promise like Abraham did and I'm going to put my hope in him alone. If that's you today, the Lord will respond to any cry to him with a loving, gentle filling of the Holy Spirit. You will be forgiven of all your sins from now and for eternity. It is done. And angels rejoice for any who make that decision. And Lord, we want to we want to surrender all of our life. 2018 is going to be a year of complete surrender for us and, and our family here at this church. We're not going to make decisions based on what we want, but Father, what you want. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.